who is the greatest actor of all time? It's not Brad Pitt. It's definitely Brad Pitt. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get into that, though. We'll be talking about that. This episode, plus Detroit. What is up, my nerds? Welcome to Pop Culture with Fanboy and Know It All. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. Welcome inside our little cave. I'm sitting next to some weird Skylander stuff over here today. So yeah, this, I feel appropriately this is kind of a nerdy. little messy in here. It is. You know? It is. We're going to have to uh, get on top of the cleaning staff yeah. well, up in this piece, which is us. <laughs> Paul, it's time for your review. Excellent for conversation. Terrible for cleaning. Terrible for cleaning. Terrible for cleaning, yeah. but that's not why we're here. But this is sort of a messy podcast anyway, so it's it sort of works. You know? It is, and I think I might get run into some HR problems if I do your performance review on air. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and vice versa. Well, wait, hold on. Whose name is, is first of, on this? I should be doing the, the performance <laughs> review on you. Speaking of performance reviews, it's apropos <laughs> oh, to yeah. this conversation, yeah. which is, who is the greatest actor of all time? That is on tap in this episode because we've brought this up a couple of times. Yes. We've argued about it more times than we probably should have, actually, already. (laughs) There's strong opinions involved and so we finally decided we've got to we've got to knock this out. We've got to unpack it. We can't we can't let this keep lingering. Well it's gonna destroy our friendship. It really will. It it already has it may still yeah. But at least we'll we'll I don't like you I don't like you nearly as much as I used to because of these kinds of twelve thirteen episodes ago. Yeah. 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 You used to be a pretty good guy, but now that I know you're, well, we'll we'll get into that later. Yeah, we've also got some stuff like uh, Skynet is a, coming online uh, in real life. So all of you <laughs> digital naysayers, you were probably right. We're going to talk about that later in the show, as well as a, an explosive piece from Teen Vogue that has totally rocked my world, Paul. And because and I know you're a huge it's about Teen GIFs. Vogue. It gifs is it's that how you GIFs. pronounce it? See, I always or said gifs. gifs. Yeah, but gifs, gifs. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Tomato, tomato. Canada, Canada. Either way, gifs. <laughs> gifs somehow sounds dirty. <laughs> yeah, we better move on. It's like, hey, buddy, want to come over here and look at my gifs? <laughs> It's like, no, I'm definitely not going to go <laughs> no, look at that guy's no, jive. No, we, we are not looking at anyone's jives. Uh, and we're going to get to Detroit. Detroit is out. Catherine Bigelow's latest. It came up on episode 12 mm-hmm. of our show. and But now we've both seen it. And so it's time to dive into it because it's got some important cultural connotations for us. Indeed, indeed. But before we get there, we may not even get there. Because we may we may have disbanded this podcast after the next segment yeah. over the best. This could be the shortest podcast in fanboy and know-it-all history right now. So it's time to fight over the best actor of all time. Now it's time... To do our top five geek countdown. Is that what is that what it's called? Oh my gosh. <laughs> We're not even doing rank geeks this episode. <laughs> okay, whatever. We're doing a top five list on the best actors of all time. Oh, it's top five. Top five. All right. I didn't prepare for top five. I thought this was a showdown over number one. <laughs> oh no way! No, this is totally top five. Alright, I can make up my top five on the all fly. Right. Alright. This will this will be even better, Paul. Then you, uh, Paul, you got to go first. <laughs> yeah, I guess I do have to go. So first. I can sit over okay. here and make the audience think that I had a top five this entire time. All right, number five. Number five, <laughs> Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. He's great. He's great. He is one of the most underrated actors, I think. He uh, he specializes in playing bad guys, but he can do so much more. I think that, that for those who really want to see Gary Oldman at his best, should check out a movie that came out a few years ago, remake of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. That keeps coming up as a recommendation in my Netflix queue. Yeah, no, it's a really excellent movie. It's a very slow-paced thriller, if you will. It's a and uh, And he plays a very understated spy, and 
it, he's just sort of smolders during the entire movie, and he's just excellent at it. Um, and then you see him in the Harry Potter movies, where he's much more demonstrative. He's he's all over the place. You see him in Book of Eli. He's a horrible, terrible villain in that. Um, he has some range, and I, that's one of the things that that I really based my selections on was was the sort of range that you get to see them. Like Cary Grant is my favorite actor of all time, but his range really is fairly small. He he is always Cary Grant in his role. So K- Gary Oldman. He is not Gary Oldman in all of his roles, and that I really appreciate. What is your favorite role for Gary Oldman? Uh, am I still sort of extending this so you can continue? To no, no, no. Up? I just am very curious. No, no. Your favorite it, role for Gary it Oldman is, is? It is Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Okay, that um, was your favorite. Yeah. Did it, you say that? And I, I was ignoring you as I was making my own list? No, 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 no. I, did, I didn't <laughs> specifically say it. I do think okay, that good. he was also in a movie called The Professional. Where he Ooh. played a much different bad guy, and he was incredibly not creepy in that the one. Professional, not Leon the Professional. No, different movie? yeah, no, no, it is same Leon. movie. Yeah, Leon yeah, the I think that he is the main bad guy in the Professional. So, um, yeah, he is the. And we're talking about when what's her face was little tiny. Girl, yeah, right? Natalie. Natalie yeah. Portman was in that. Natalie one. Portman. Yeah, so he plays a, a really horrific person in that and does an excellent job being horrific. Mm. I I I I like everything Just like that a Oldman sleaze ball. Does. Yeah. Yeah, a little like you, Jake. I am the epitome of a sleaze ball. All right. What's what's your All number right. 5? Number 5 on my list is one Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh. This okay, see again. 15-year-old me would argue would probably kill me right now to hear <laughs> to hear me saying this because growing up Leonardo DiCaprio in my mind was just a pretty boy who did these weird romantic movies like Titanic and I was like I cannot stand to hear about this guy anymore he does stupid movies like The Beach and <laughs> The Titanic and 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 what's the one where his he and Johnny Depp or our brothers what's right? eating gilbert grape what's eating gilbert grape like That's... all these weird movies and <laughs> and i was like nah i'm not into this guy but then then i watched blood diamond and i was like all right he, he doesn't have to just be this pretty boy then i watched catch me if you can i'm not saying that was a chronological order that's just where i started watching him and then inception and 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 all these other movies and all of a sudden i'm like this guy's got some range and he's very charismatic and so he, I mean, he's kind of been all, he's done horror movies. Like, you know, he's done thrillers. He's done action movies. He's done romantic comedies in the past. He's done comedies. Like, you know, his range is pretty good. Yeah, you know, I, I find. And my favorite role, I'll just jumpstart, yeah. that was a real question, is Catch Me If You Can. I thought he was great in that movie. See, I never saw Catch Me If You Can. I thought that he was tremendous in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. And I, I actually thought this kid. He is going to be one of the best actors in the world one day. Mm. And there are people like you who would say that is true. Who agree. I personally just don't quite get his... I get his appeal. I get his charisma. He is definitely not a bad actor. But even in The Revenant, which won him his Academy Award. Yeah, so good. You know, he he was just fine. Just fine. He was just fine. In the Revenant, why? Yeah, he was. He was. The dude crawled inside fine. a dead horse, butt naked. <laughs> you know, that's I, that was I worth could, an Academy Award I could right crawl there. Crawl into a dead horse naked, and people would say that's pretty impressive. I mean, not they would. Say, they wouldn't say that. <laughs> I don't know if me. I would. Yeah, <laughs> but, I don't know. But they would say what, what dedication, what what a triumph of acting. <laughs> You know, he ate this raw liver and he threw up. And they would they would give me props for my acting, and that would be great. And I, I and I'm not saying that he's a bad actor. I'm just not saying he's. I'm not. I just don't think you he's don't think he old. deserves to be up near yeah. the top of the list. All no. right. Well, there you have it, um, Paul. What's number four for you? Number four, Alec Guinness. Mm, nice pick. I like Alec. Yeah. Again, we're talking about range here, and when I look about when I look at Alec Guinness's range. It is amazing. Have you ever seen The Lady Killers? Uh, the original, I've not finished it, but I have seen it. I'm, yeah. So you're familiar with Alec Guinness's yeah, work. In I am. I think he is hilarious in that. Yes. And you think about his stuff in Bridge Over the River Kwai. Fantastic. Um, that was a great movie. You see him as Obi-Wan Kenobi 
which he was pretty good at too. But yep. he has he has the ability to be a very comic actor. He has the ability to be a very dramatic actor, and he makes them both feel very um, real. Yeah, he does. I mean, Murder by Death. I mean, Murder, Murder by, by Death. Death. Such a funny movie. That I'm gets, so it's glad a that you watched that. So you've redeemed yourself in my multiple eyes now. times. Like yeah. that one, I like rewatched with my wife because she was like a fan of Clue, and I was like, Oh, oh, oh. you like <laughs> Clue? You got to see Murder oh, yeah. by Death. Murder by Death, like, is the so good. classic comic murder mystery. It and, is hilarious. Yeah, it's fantastic. And so I am, I am all on board with the pick of Alec Guinness there. So. No no qualms to you there, sir. All righty. What is your favorite role that Alec Guinness has ever played? Oh, you know what? I, I do think I have to go with the Lady Killers, just because that is a, a family favorite of mm. my family's. We watch that sometimes. It's just it's just a hoot. It's a, it's a riot to watch. And probably after that, it would be Bridge on the River Kwai. I thought he was tremendous in that movie. And the message in that movie is really interesting as well. Yeah. All right, number four for me on my list. The interesting thing about my list is really these top, the bottom three on my top five, I'm not actually that big of a fan of. As I said with Leonardo before, I wasn't huge on him. I've just come to appreciate his work over the years. Uh, Same with this guy. Christian Bale is number four on my list. Um, Again, not a guy that, like, I... I sit back and I think I love Christian Bale and all the stuff that he does. However, again, think of his range for the machinist Batman movies. Um, and I'm forgetting about all the other ones he's done because of course I forget. What was the, the one that he head. won his best supporting actor? For? Uh, let's see. It's, was I that the it, fighter, right the boxer? Here. Uh, right, right, right. I'm pulling it up. Where is Mr... Yeah, but he's won, He's gotten Academy Awards. Yeah. He's played boxers. He's He loses tremendous amounts of weights. He's got charm. He could play Bruce Wayne and Batman. Yeah. And, you yeah. know... No, he's a, he's a very good actor. I think that I would be interested. I've never seen The Machinist, but he lost, like, all of his weight. He was for that. he was like dangerously. Yeah, thin I've seen pictures of him for that, that and that is frightening. That's the, the about the only time that I could probably beat up Christian Bale is when he was doing that role. I bet he could have still. I well, bet he still could have beaten you up. He might oh, have. And who can forget the Prestige? Except for me, just now. But the Prestige, fantastic role. For never him. saw it. You never saw the Prestige. I know. I know. You've, this is the second That's podcast a, that you've mentioned. Yes, this is a hu- this is a huge one for Jackman and for yeah. for Bale. I know, like great movie and, and Wolverine and Batman, right together. Right the together. fighter was the fighter was the name of the one that he got. Yeah, the, he was tremendous the Oscar for. But he's done westerns, Three Ten to Yuma. Oh, uh, he was great. Harsh in that. Times, which wasn't an Academy Award winning movie, but. Uh, was a great role for Harsh Christian Bale. Harsh Times in Richmond High? No, nope, just Harsh Times. Okay. <laughs> Equilibrium. Empire classic. of the Sun? Empire of the Sun. He I was mean, a little kid then. Newsies. I forgot about Newsies. He was in Newsies. Come on. And one of your favorites that you probably can't admit that you like is Knight of Cups. Oh, yeah. Knight of Cups. He was, yeah. Well, little Women. Guys, this guy is all, he was in Shaft. All right. There's all right, so many things in here that I didn't even realize along. he was in. Let's move it along. I got to bump him on my list. Let's move it along. <laughs> my number three pick. Okay, so we mentioned Murder by Death already, we right? We did. In Murder by Death, the, the the main guy who is murdered in Murder by Death is Truman Capote. Uh-huh. And I am going to name the guy who did the definitive take on Truman Capote who wasn't Truman Capote, and that is Philip Seymour Hoffman. PSH! He was amazing. Um, oddly enough, this sort of goes against sort of my tack for this list because he... It didn't have necessarily that huge range that you see from some of these other people, but he was so subtle in how he acted. Watching the master is is really almost a master class in acting. Watching Philip Seymour Hoffman going against Joaquin Phoenix, who made it to number six on my list. Yeah, Joaquin is strong. He, had some strong stuff. Yeah, he is amazing, and so. Just the subtleties of his acting is is really impressive. You have to watch closely in order to see everything that he's doing, but he does a marvelous job. Yeah. No, uh, Feisy Hoff, as I call him, 
affectionately. <laughs> yeah. Even has some great comedic roles. I mean, in in not as great movies, he can steal scenes like Along Came Polly, which is a Ben Stiller, Jennifer Aniston like rom com. Philip Seymour Hoffman as this washed up former child actor was just hilarious. Did yeah. you see that? I did not see that. No, <laughs> he's he's just great. Yeah, and the, the like thing... I still quote that movie. I... Let it rain. <laughs> you know the thing that makes me sad about about him on this list is just how many great roles we're never going to have an opportunity to see him in. Yeah. Um, he died a couple of years ago, and he was, I think he was really just coming into his peak. It would have been fantastic to see what else he would have done. Yeah, that was, you know, now that you mention it, there were two. Him, it was Philip Seymour Hoffman and Heath Ledger, who for me, like, were kind of coming, kind of, I think, going to kind of pull that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in my mind where all of a sudden they started doing more roles and really wowing us with their range uh, and Heath Ledger because Heath Ledger before The Dark Knight I mean we were all pissed that he got cast as a Joker I mean I I would like to I would like somebody to prove that they have it in writing that they thought that was a good cast before the movie came out because everyone was like no this guy he's in like Brokeback Mountain and 10 Things I Hate About You and, and he's so pretty he's just Again, this he's pretty those, boy yeah and he got cast as the Joker, and not only was he a good Joker, he was, he was the a great, best. the best ever, yeah. and one of the best villains in any type of movie ever made. So yeah. I think both we of them could probably whole... could have yeah. moved up on this list had they remained yeah. no, alive. No, I, I, I think we could do a whole podcast on The Dark Knight and Heath Ledger's Joker, because... Man, that was such a, a an amazing, defining role, not only for Heath Ledger, but for the character itself. Right. And when you're talking about a character that has had eight decades worth of history, for you to right. bring something new to it, that's pretty remarkable. Crazy. All right, next up on my list of the best actors of all time, but... Again, I'm just cementing my uh, unbiased, my lack of bias to this list. So number three on my list is Tom Hanks. Oh, that's a terrible pick. But let me let me get let me let me sell you on Tom Hanks <laughs> real quick. All right. All right. Okay. Why you, I can I can guess why you think that's a bad pick, because Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks in everything, right? Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks. Tom in Hanks almost everything is Tom Hanks in almost everything, and yet he's really likable. He's amazingly likable, and you like him in everything. You're like I totally yeah. believe Tom Hanks is cast away as. Like, as a FedEx yeah. guy, as a World War II soldier, as a boat captain, as an astronaut, as a yeah. pilot, as a grown child, as a scientist, as a Cold War lawyer. Like, all of a sudden, you're, like, looking at his resume and all these movies that you've enjoyed him in and that you totally bought him in. And so even though he's Tom Hanks and everything, you that that's almost, like... That's almost like a skill in and of itself. I, the fact that he can be himself in all these movies no. and, st- and make you be like, you know what? This was the best casting choice they could have made. <laughs> Tom Hanks is a World War II soldier. That was great. Tom Hanks is a lawyer. Great. <laughs> no, it's, here's, here's the thing about Tom Hanks. He is a great human being. He is an amazing presence on screen. He is not one of the best actors. <laughs> he is just not one of the best actors. I love Tom Hanks, but no. But think, the best, but think the best. about that skill for a second. Just let that no, soak in. No, I hear you, but see... That's my, great. That's, that's something, man. My that's got to count My favorite actor, my favorite actor, <laughs> Cary Grant, had some of the same appeal. He did not make my top five. He would not have even made my top 15. It's just, we're talking acting here and... and Tom does a great job with what he does. He does. But I have yet to see him, you know. That's why he didn't jump up higher on my list. But when I had to think about, like, the feat of accomplishment no. <laughs> of convincing me that I like him in all these movies, I'm like, all right. He is incredible. I got like to give you a spot on this list for me. <laughs> all right, number two Okay, number two. Dustin Hoffman. Dusty Hoff. He was the first actor that I thought that I watched as a kid and said to myself, that guy, he can act. He is really amazing in a lot of different things. I think I first saw him in, oh, what did I first see him in? Little Big Man, actually, where he played an old man, a young man, every man in between. I'm glad you didn't say Midnight Cowboy. 
No, I haven't seen Midnight Cowboy. I've seen clips of Midnight Cowboy, and he was pretty good in the clips. Uh, but you think about Kramer versus Kramer, Tootsie, The Graduate, um, all the very Meet the Fockers. <laughs> why are you not dropping that one out, Paul? <laughs> yeah, why Why did I not mention that? I don't know why not. Sorry. No, Stranger than fiction? He has been incredibly good in a lot of different things. And he's played one of my favorite movies, actually, and I probably shouldn't say this because it's R-rated. There's a big content <laughs> caveat for this one. Content caveat with Paul Acey. The Marathon Man. Marathon Man. He is amazing in Marathon Man. That's, a, that's with uh, Laurence Olivier in that Yeah, movie. he goes toe-to-toe with Laurence of Olivier, and he does... Laurence of Olivier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he does an amazing job in that movie. I really enjoyed him in that. That's great. So, that's my number two. All right, number two. Number two for me... Chris Pratt. Is not Chris Pratt. Your buddy Chris Give it Pratt, time. Give it not? time. He'll okay. get up there. Give it time. He'll, he'll be there. But number two for me is one Denzel Washington. Ah, Denzel. Denzel does not get enough love for his range, I think. See, again, it's sort of a, the, the Tom Hanks thing. You know, I think I... Again, Denzel... I, I think we had this talk about Fences really liked his his job in fences yeah he has an amazing range in terms of his emotion in terms of uh what he does what he says all that kind of stuff but in some ways he always he never disappears in into a role for me he is always denzel he is very much a movie star to me sure and I, i i see where you're going with that and i thought about it but at the same time i mean you think Yes, he's a he's a big face, but I think of things like Safe House, Training Day, Remember the Titans, The Book of Eli, Fences, Magnificent Seven, Flight, Glory, like Inside Man, all these movies, sure, he's the face of them. But I kind of wonder if that's part of the part of what's sticking in your mind. Is his face is on those posters. It's Denzel Washington is John Q. Denzel Washington is, you know, Training Day. Denzel Washington is Malcolm X. Denzel Washington is blah, 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 blah. Oh, American Gangster. Great. Like, that was an underrated film, in my opinion. Um, and, and Denzel, like, he's got a... I mean, he plays a fat, schlubby, uneducated, you know, trash man in Fences. He plays a thug, a shrewd thug in Training Day. He plays a, a drunk pilot in flight i mean he's 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 got some range to him that i don't think he gets credit for well i do love denzel washington i think he's very he is very good and we'll just go on to number one all right number one because this is where we want to get to anyways this is really where we go ahead to go ahead this is going to blow your number one out of the water i can (laughs) tell you that much daniel day lewis how could it be anybody else but daniel day lewis because he's retired (laughs) <laughs> well, and that's really what sort of precipitated this whole thing, right? Yes. We were talking about Daniel Day-Lewis's retirement. I think that he is maybe the best actor I've ever seen. He, Well, I'd hope so. If you're putting him well, like, number you know, one yeah. on your list, no, it, I would hope true. that's because... It's true. <laughs> it's, but he disappears into so many different roles. He can do so many different things. I haven't seen him do a lot of comedy, um, but... Has when, he ever really done comedy? Not that I can remember, but when I think about what he's done, you know... Uh, Gangs of New York, Streets of New York. Uh, Gangs, you were right Gangs. the first time. You have Lincoln, you have My Left Foot, you have Last of the Mohicans. He has an incredible list of accomplishments. He's he's only done like 10 roles in his lifetime, and he's won Oscars for three of them. And see, and that's the problem I have with Daniel Day-Lewis is being number one on this list. <laughs> <laughs> Is he's got a very limited range. Like, oh, what are you talking now, about? He's done very like acclaimed roles that he's disappeared into, and and I'm not going to say he's done a bad job at that. Obviously, he's done a good job. At he's that. all right, but he he has not demonstrated that range. Oh, he has demonstrated like, that. Okay, range. what's the difference between Bill the Butcher in Gangs of New York and his character in There Will Be Blood. What's what's his name in that? It's uh, Daniel Plainview. You know, actually, there's a huge difference. Watch those movies again, and you will see an incredible difference. In, because they're both villainous characters, right? They're, and they're both, both villainous. Larger than, they're both larger than life. They're both, like, 
they have a bit of charisma to them. There's something secretly likable, but they're malicious and violent and shrewd. But their their charisma is in, is entirely based on different things. When you watch the well, choices, based that he on made, different things. No, but I'm no. saying on, on broad brushstrokes, it's like it's the same character with slightly different no, with slightly different motivations. You watch, you watch, you watch Gangs of New York, and you see this this swaggering over the top you know actor he's almost he almost tries to present himself as this demonic character when you look at that there will be blood which i think was one of the one of the best movies in the last 20 years he, i fell asleep oh my goodness until Jay, i drink your milkshake <laughs> i drink it up <laughs> he has he is just pure businessman and he has that thunderous voice right and he he is just a pure malicious businessman, totally different than the than the gang leader that we is see. Is it totally and different? And then, though? and then, when you go on to his next role, Lincoln, can you picture a much different role than? Well, say, sure. I wasn't comparing Lincoln, <laughs> <laughs> but see, when you're talking about his range, I mean, Lincoln. The the thing that made me think that that he was going to be so good at Lincoln was remembering that huge voice that he had in There Will Be Blood, right? Because that's the way you picture Lincoln. Right. You know, this great baritone because he has all these beautiful words. The historians say that wasn't his voice. He had this high nasally voice which Daniel Day-Lewis somehow replicated, well, to the best we can think. <laughs> yeah, we have audio files of Lincoln <laughs> uh, that somehow Daniel Day-Lewis got his hands but, on. But he gave him this this very un-Lincoln-like voice to us and yet somehow made that character come alive. I mm-hmm. thought that was tremendous. And again, I'm not here to debate his ability to say that he's unable to do good work. But I'm saying when you do look at his range, it's very limited. Three Oscars, man. That's <laughs> Three all I can Oscars, say. that's great. But where's the range? He's got to prove to me that he can be okay. comedic, that he can be... You know that he can he can right. be comedic, he can be romantic, he can be action, he can be drama, he can be nuanced. He Which can be, he did almost he all of those except for the camera. Those things. He he was an action star. Which, he was a romantic star. And he as an action star, he wasn't that good. Oh, what are you talking about? The Last of the Mohicans. That was overrated. Well, I I was. <laughs> I wasn't a huge fan of, of Last of the Mohicans, but we get Adam Holtz, one of our previous guests in here. He will he will come to blows with you for that. Yeah, he would attack me for that. Yeah, so um, now that we're talking about acting range, <laughs> let's go. This feeds let's perfectly go. into my point. Because <laughs> right. where I'm calling Daniel Day-Lewis to the carpet... All Daniel, right. I hope you're listening. This is <laughs> yeah, this is sure out of respect, is. buddy. But you need to unretire so you can match up with the range of this next guy. And you guys know in your hearts already the name I'm about to speak. He has gravitas. He plays romance. He plays drama. He plays. He does historical. He does fiction. He does nonfiction. He has been a psycho serial killer. He has been a mental patient. He has been a lover. He has been a fighter. He has been an Irish boxer. So let me do my... Ladies and gentlemen, Brad Pitt is the greatest actor of all time. This... End of discussion. This is surely a sign... That we need some mental help in here right now. <laughs> I, it's, I am not saying that Brad Pitt is a horrible actor. But let me just show you, give you my impression of, of Brad Pitt in most of his roles. Let's see your impression of Brad Pitt in most of his roles. That's it. What? That's it. He just stands there being pretty. That's absolutely bogus. That is, that is, is absolutely bogus. Absolutely accurate. A hundred percent. All right. No. All right. Tree of Life. Oh, he was great in Tree of Tree Life. Tree of Life. You didn't even think about it. He was, the fact that he was Brad Pitt. He was this stern... But he's, he's actually... The stern father figure. He was great in Tree of Life, except that he was probably the fifth most memorable character in there. Um, Jessica Chastain kicked his. She was good butt. in it. She was good in it, but he did that without having to do very many lines. Well, Terrence Malick, you don't get very many lines in Terrence Malick. Twelve Monkeys. Uh, you're you're trying to tell me that in Twelve Monkeys he plays this. I'm not mental saying in patient. all these roles. I'm not saying in he all these roles. He plays this mental patient that is totally believable as this insane character, like with some megalomania. Megalomania. I can't talk. If you. 
<laughs> megalomaniacal tendencies. <laughs> <laughs> You're I just so wanna, upset. I just want to sing. Wanna... I just want to sing that like '90s rock. Mega maniac. Um, the Big Short. He gained some weight. He grew a beard. Wore glasses. Played this finance guy. Uh, See, so Ocean's Eleven is about okay. the only one. Like your impression of Brad Pitt just now. Like, okay, I could give you Rusty from Ocean's Eleven, but it's comical. He was playing a caricature of people's perceptions of him. No, nope. and yet he was very down to earth. No, nope. and then you've got uh, Legends of the Fall. Now, let me, Pretty Boy. Let me just challenge you, Nature to do... Guy. Snatch, though. Come on. His I haven't his seen Snatch. Work so I as can't a gypsy see. boxer. No, the best the best role that I have seen him in was Californication. Uh huh. He yes. was he was funny in that. I will grant you that. And terrifying. But in Californication? Californication. It's called California. With the California. What yes, am I he was of? terrifying in that. Oh, no, he wasn't. He was both humorous and terrifying. All right. He was a redneck, like, uneducated no, redneck was, serial killer. He was great. And totally out act. of left field. He can, he can do a little bit of acting. A but, little bit of that, but when you're talking role, about this incredible his role range in of glorious bastards, when you t- was okay. widely regarded as Aldo, what's his last name? Aldo Rain, like the comedic range he put in on that movie, um, Seven. I'm not saying he's that, detective. I am not the saying curious case of Pitt's... Benjamin Button, where he played literally every age. That you could possibly uh, see, play. Dustin Hoffman did that 30 years before. All he needed to do was watch Little Big Men, see how he did it. And Tyler Durden in Fight Club. Oh, my goodness. You don't have to just keep naming I can off name, movies. Because Moving, but naming off the movies reason is not I'm going naming, to make you prove your point The reason you're naming these all off. Interview with a Vampire. He's a, like, oh, my you goodness. Go and look that's at the these worst roles. role. That's no. the worst role. I'm not saying it's his best role. <laughs> But I'm saying, look at that's a very he, he's played vampires, he's played stoners, he's played All right. war generals, he's played uh, stubby, uh, chubby like financial guys. He's played he's played a baseball coach, now, analyst I, guy. I want I mean, to uh, ask he, you to do the something devil's for own. Me. I want to ask you to do something for me. Get out of town, guys. His now resume proves his range. Let's look at Daniel Day Lewis. Uh-huh. How I'm many roles right he has? Now. How many Oscars he has? Now let's look at how many. Roles that Brad Pitt has done, how many Oscars he has. Then I want you to do a Google search for why is Brad Pitt such a terrible actor? And you will see twice. <laughs> such a terrible actor. <laughs> well, all right. I'm, I'm, all right. Well, see, okay, maybe he hasn't won as many. It's or, because or he's. Any. He's, I think he's actually only won for Best Picture in 12 Years a Slave. But he's been nominated for Best Actor. And he was pretty boring. Twice. And for Best Supporting Actor before. He was all right. But that, again, he didn't have to play the lead in everything. He has played supporting characters. He has played lead characters. Like Brad Pitt has, has played so many different types of characters from lead to supporting over the years. When you look at his resume, he's got the range. All right. Here's what we've got to do. We've got to start a YouTube channel and throw up. Well, not actually vomit up, but but put up the best clips we can find of Brad Pitt and the best clips we can find of Daniel Day-Lewis, and we'll see who wins. I think I'm fairly confident. It's that, not Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, it is it's totally Daniel, Daniel Day Daniel Day is great, but he he has he is one type of actor. He just inhabits roles. That's great. <laughs> That's great that he inha- that he can inhabit that's, roles. That but that's one best, thing. It's one the dimensional. Best quote of, of this entire podcast. <laughs> he does one thing. <laughs> he inhabits roles. He does. It's, and and I give him props for that. It's sort of like saying, you know, that Ernest Hemingway <laughs> guy, he can only do one thing. Write. He can write. <laughs> that's what actors are supposed to do. They They're are. Supposed to they are. Role. But... But right. he can only inhabit one type of role. Okay. And that's these ones okay. where he can get completely lost. He has not proved a range. That's oh. my argument here. He has not proved nearly the same range that Brad Pitt has over the years. I think that's totally broken. So sure, there's a there's a high there's a high concentration of quality to Daniel Day Lewis. I'm keeping Paul from dinner with his sister, so I'm getting a watch tap. But Brad Pitt has proven time and time again his ability to take any role and do well with it. Where Daniel Day has not proved that. Oh, that is, that 
That he is has so, not. See, he has not taken every type of role. You are not going to let me go to dinner because you are being so ridiculous right now. So ridiculous. But so right, guys. <laughs> the heavy concentration of Daniel Day-Lewis in like five roles that he's just done like twice each. Or Brad Pitt, who has taken on right. every single type right. of role that exists in the universe. We don't universe. even have time. He's even I done don't documentaries. Even have, I don't even have the inclination to do a top, <laughs> a complete comprehensive top five. We got to go to Detroit. Uh, there you have it, folks. The best actor of all time, Brad Pitt. <laughs> no. <laughs> Moving on. It's time to talk about Detroit. Oh, goodness me. Detroit is now in theaters, or maybe you're listening to this well into the future and is out on video. And it is a very powerful film based on a piece of history that I don't think a lot of people think about. No, I don't think so. Very either. often. I don't think so either. I had never heard of it. Um, I had heard about, obviously, the, the racial upheaval in the 1960s and all that sort of stuff, but I was not familiar with this particular incident that happened at the Algiers motel in detroit in 1967 but even surrounding that this event took place inside the detroit race riots mm -hmm. which again I, I learned a little bit about like it kind of was like an add-on kind of got caught up in the conversations about mm -hmm. civil unrest in general over race in the <clears throat> 60s but the detroit race riots were i mean that was a really rough time not mm. just for detroit but for the nation right to see tanks rolling through the streets of an American city. Yeah. I mean, this was like World War II has finally come home in some respects. How, like, buildings are burning, there's looting, there's rioting, tanks are rolling through town, and this is America. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that if you lived through that time, and, it, and it's even a little bit earlier than, than my time, you could be forgiven, I think, for wondering what the future of America held because it just was such a combustible time and there was so much... Um, so much tension and anger, and and uh, and you you kind of understood this. I'm I'm kind of a history wonk, so I sort of had a sense of how tense things were back then. But Detroit, the movie, really brings it to a whole new level. I was able to to get a, a, a whole new appreciation for what that time looked like, and it gave me a much greater appreciation. And you can talk with this probably more than I can, can Jake to some of the racial uh, strife that we're dealing with now. Um, it really gives you a greater insight, I think, into, into why this racial tension is so pervasive and why we just can't seem to shake it. You know, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a law and order guy. That's, that's kind of where I come from. I, I have never had problems with police harassment, um, I have always respected the police, and I and I do think that that most police are pretty good people. But Detroit really brings home the idea of of that not everybody has that experience, right? And it makes you understand why there's such suspicion. Yeah, something very significant that Detroit does is it challenges our perceptions it challenges the the idea that we have that our experience with things might be the only experience right with things. right absolutely. And, and i think that's and and on both sides of the issue um everybody involved in these situations whether it's you and i paul sitting here doing a podcast you know a husband and wife watching news you know or people literally in the middle of these highly charged Situations like the race riot in Detroit, which has a lot of echoes of things we saw in Ferguson just right. a few years ago. Um, it's very easy for us to to be wherever we're at and to see this as through one lens. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and I think that's something we have to kind of preface as we kind of tread into what is Detroit the movie. Right. Is it tries to it tries to bring some perspective from both sides. Of this issue, it tries to bring a little bit of historical perspective to the race riots and what precipitated them, 
good in you know from from the police to the the citizens of Detroit and but you and I Paul didn't live through this yeah we've no. never faced no, I've never faced never depression from a police officer I've never felt like I was threatened by or like I was a threat to right. somebody else or to a police officer just because of my skin color right and so all of this for me has to come with the caveat of I am a white American male who has grown up in the Midwest. Right, right, exactly. And, and you know, I think that, just to back up a little bit, um, Detroit really centers around the, the happenings around the Algiers Motel, where essentially what happens is you that there's all these race riots going on, the National Guard is called in, uh, there's a great deal of, of strife between uh, the Detroit police, which I think I read someone was, was 94% white, um, and the, the black communities there. In the Algiers Motel, about the third day of the rioting, rioting um, someone shoots essentially a starter gun, a, yep. a, a toy like gun. A starter for, pistol. It's got right, a blank exactly. in it. Exactly. But it's heard people on the street, you know, the, the law enforcement on the street, the freak police, out because, the of course, Guard. there's yeah. snipers. There's They've people been dealing with, with snipers. Guns. So what happens is eventually these police officers, they storm um, the Algiers Motel where they heard these shots coming from and they throw a whole bunch of people guests at the motel essentially against the wall. Um, It becomes a a huge interrogation scene and and what happens historically is that that three young African Americans die during this confrontation. Um, The movie definitely has some, some very strong thoughts on what happened um, and and I think that that historically, I think that the movie is probably more accurate than not, for sure. Um, because the movie, yeah, like the premise for that, as you just to give context for that, is that the movie itself is based on testimonies, eyewitness from testimonies, the, yeah, I, like from the people inside the hotel who survived, correct, of how the night went down, from two of the police officers themselves, from saying how the night went down. Like, all this stuff was in court. Some of it was ruled inadmissible because, you know, the standard legal loopholes that you kind of hear about. Like, did they have the proper... Yeah, essentially you have three police officers who are accused of killing these these guys. And, 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 yeah, you have this whole courtroom drama where they're... Their statements that they make were apparently made under duress. So if you look at the historical record, I'm not sure whether those police officers would still recant that. You know, it would be sort of an interesting question. But I so think later they, they both, two of them paid damages in civil them, court. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for what that's worth. No, and I, I think that again, I think that the, the 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 picture that director Catherine Bigelow paints here is a really compelling compelling one, and I think a truthful one. Um, because of the confusion of that night, it's probably impossible to know exactly what happened. Sure. But we know something terribly wrong happened, where there were people who died that should not have died, and and at most likely the hands of these police officers. Right. And and, uh, and that brings up uh, two, I think, really crucial points to think about when we go into this movie, because it's obviously, because of our current cultural context, there's a lot of things to this movie that feel very current, Mm -hmm. even though this happened 50 years ago. Um, But there's two things. One, to your point, eyewitness testimonies are notoriously unreliable to a fault, to a degree. Uh, Sometimes they're very reliable, sometimes they're not. Like They're kind of all over the place, because the human mind, when it's in fear mode, when it's in flight mode, fight mode, wherever, kind of goes to a lot of different places. Doesn't mean that there's not truth to eyewitness testimonies. There's a lot of truth to eyewitness testimonies, but neurological science calls some of that into question, because people don't remember things the way maybe they show up on video, which was we didn't have of this event. So, important to keep that in mind. It's as close to truth as we feel like we can get. But it's still eyewitness testimony of people that were in a highly charged environment. So what exactly happened? What were the fine details? Like, we don't know. And I'm not sure if it matters, really, in this context. And that was my second point, is that ultimately we've got to get away from this idea of what exactly happened and what should have happened. What should have happened is nobody should have died. That's exactly right. And I think that that's... When I watched the movie, and I, I watched it just last night during the you know the night after the night before this this podcast recording, um, it was 
it was a hard movie to watch. And the thing that kept coming back to me as I was watching this is you see these police officers. They're, they feel very racist and they feel very brutal and they feel, um, they feel evil in a certain way. Yeah, they one give in justi- particular, yeah. two for the most part. Right. Yeah. They, they, I think that, that obviously that's a really stressful time, and, and man, who knows how any of us would react in, in sort of those stressful situations that you see in Detroit. But these people felt evil. And the thing that, that really struck me is how tragic it is when we have people who we look to to protect us in one way or another. And when those people betray trust, I think that there's an incredible moral and emotional wound that comes along with that, that I don't think that any of us really have a great concept of, of what it takes to heal something like that. You know, when I was watching these, these police officers do these horrific things, um, inexcusable things, it, it brought to mind the, um, the Catholic priest pedophilia scandal. Mm. It brought to mind certain stories where you hear of mothers and fathers abusing or killing their kids. You know, it's it's one of these things where when you death and, and there are so many tragedies in this world. But for me, what really magnifies them is when they're people who we're supposed to trust, people who we're supposed to respect, the people who we look to save us in certain situations. And when they're not there, when they betray that trust, it's it's indescribably tragic. Yeah. Yeah, and and in spite of the fact that there is the one character in particular who feels evil, I think I think you're right. The real trauma is that there there is this position of trust that you think we ought to have for these people that are supposed to be public servants, right. police officers. Right. And, and to see that power abused hurts and undercuts, especially if, especially like to us, if we've had years where things have always been good. To, it, you're right. To watch it happen on screen hurts. Right. Because right. you're like, man, these are the guys, like, they used to let me sit in their car and they were always friendly and yeah. like they would wave and they would be there at the parades and flashing their lights and yay. But, we forget that there's a whole, there's a group of you know American citizens who have a very different experience. Right, right, exactly. And with people in that position, and that there's a lot of wounds that come from that, and there's a lot of poor decisions made. Right. Because of those wounds, and a lot of poor decisions we make in response, or right. public you know officials make in response based on their own wounds or their own preconceived notions right. and ultimately it spires out of control into he said she said no yeah. we need to make this person a saint and this person a villain when instead of really getting back to the root issues yeah. here that yeah. there is trust there's been violations of trust time and time again from people these, of authority yeah or from us making poor responses to those people of right, in authority right. these things tend to snowball and i think that that's one of the other things that i saw in detroit was just sort of that that sense of a snowball where one bad decision leads to a terrible reaction which leads to an even worse reaction and you have all these things building on one another and it's just to me it was a it was a really powerful illustration of living in a fallen world we have laws, you know, essentially, if we all were still hanging out in the Garden of Eden, you know, where we have perfect love, we are, you know, in sync with, with us and the world around us, we wouldn't need laws. Laws are sort of, um, laws are encoded love in, in a certain way, and it's it's that it, they're trying to laws are intended to try to make us better people right they're trying to curb our worst inclinations and when those laws fall apart because of all the many reasons that we see in this movie it's a tragedy and it shows just how weak sometimes the human elements that we place on ourselves how those can fall apart right if we try to shoulder all the moral responsibility for these laws, we'll start to come up with reasons and actions to support ourselves in that in that place that can some sometimes violate other laws right that they're we're supposed to be trying to uphold and so I think for me like to 
the thing that has stuck with me since seeing this. Um, so I actually I, I got the chance to see this rare. This doesn't happen very often, but I saw this before Paul did. I got a screening of it in Los Angeles, and I, I got the chance to talk to two of the actors, Algie Smith and Peyton Alex Smith, not related to each other, even though they have <laughs> the same last name. Um, and and Algie Smith is a pretty major character, or, or he plays yeah, a pretty LG major Smith character. Algie Smith is right? one of the major characters in this film. And I got the chance to talk to both of them after this movie and to hear their heart for why they participated in this movie and, and the heart that they feel like was was given to them through director Catherine Bigelow's vision for this film. And, and all they talked about, even before I talked to them, was how this was supposed to, to start a conversation. They didn't use this word until I had talked with them, but they kept kind of talking about the power of story to, put a, to, to give us pause and to get us to think about something from a different right. person's perspective, which always gets me thinking about the power of story as parable to, to get us thinking about something in a way we wouldn't have otherwise. And so I think what's sticking with me most about Detroit is that I think this movie has the power to do that. However, I don't know if we're ready for it or if we're still too caught up wanting to make heroes and villains out of everybody in every situation that will that mainstream America will kind of ignore this movie. Because when you hear the heart of Catherine Bigelow as translated through Algie Smith and Peyton Alex Smith and why they were in this movie is they want to start a conversation. They're planning on... They've been screening this movie in communities to say whether you're white, black, you know, Latino, you know, Asian, you know, wherever you're at in the racial, religious spectrum, let's get together and talk about these 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 misconceptions, these wounds that exist that cause us to snowball. Let's start talking about those root issues and let's use this movie to hopefully see some humanity because in spite of a incredibly evil villain in this movie who is white there's some really good great you know humble white characters in this movie and in spite of you know riotous african-americans you know as might have been trumpeted in the news like they're just tearing their city apart there's honorable you know african-americans in this movie and white americans in this movie like it's not as much to me what it was struck me was that it was less about saying the white Americans are right or the African Americans are right or, you know, it was about saying there's wounds, they're real, and we need to talk about the roots yeah. behind them instead of snowballing anytime there's there's tension. Yeah, I, th- I think that, that for me, I think it just brought to my mind how difficult justice is to find because when you look at the primary characters here, I think that there was always sort of a sense that they were each, they were all pursuing a sense of justice. But that justice was elusive because of some of the decisions that were made. Um, and it, it just reminds me so forcefully how, um, what poor decisions I think we all can sometimes make yeah. when we're under stress and when we're angry and rightfully angry. I mean, a lot of these people here, they had every right to reason angry. to be yeah. extraordinarily angry i would be angry too um but how sometimes that that justice that you long for that you yearn for that you that you thirst for can be so elusive and it can be so frustrating when you don't find it and and sometimes sometimes there's an, there's a, a sense within the very last part of the movie and i'll try not to give it away but there's a sense where sometimes that justice doesn't happen. Yeah. And you just have to come to a point where you have to find a way to, to let go. Yeah. And and that's a really hard thing to do. For me, as as a movie as a person watching this movie, I don't I felt like I was educated. Yeah. Um going in, I think I had a good idea that being a middle aged white guy, I didn't know. I don't I can't Empathize. I can't put myself in the shoes of people who experience police harassment because of their color or whatever. Um, but it helped me. This movie helped me get a little closer. And, and for that, I think that it really is valuable. And I, I hope, as hard a movie as it is to see, I hope that some people who could benefit from this movie do see it. You know? Yeah. 
I agree. And I think there's, you know, speaking to that same character uh, and talking, it's it's a character played by Algie Smith, who's, again, one of the guys I talked to. Um, he, without spoiling where he ends up in the movie, he ends up, he ends the movie in a very interesting place. And, and Faith plays a significant, seems to be playing a significant, if maybe quietly understated role. Yeah. Or at least he's wrestling with right. it. And and so Algie Smith talked about he didn't actually meet the real version of the character, the real life guy who he played in the movie until after he was done making the movie. Um, but when they when they got together and talked, he said that that this this gentleman in real life, all he wanted to talk about was encouraging him as as a, a professional, as an actor, like encouraging him to. To, you know, to miss these pitfalls and avoid these pitfalls and do this well and do that well. And was just encouraging him to be, you know, like we were talking about to that, the way laws are encoded with love was encouraging him to be a good, you know, citizen, to be a man of honor, a man of character. And I think, you know what, that was quietly powerful for me yeah. that there, you know, I think we, we go into these things and we get educated and maybe we get emotional and we get passionate and say, what can I do? And one of the best things and most important things that we can do is do it differently ourselves and be better citizens ourselves and be more loving and caring and compassionate and empathetic ourselves and stop getting so tangled up in he, should, he said, she said stuff and start getting more tangled up in just being good neighbors. Because this movie would have ended a lot differently had everybody <laughs> just been a better neighbor. So anyways, um, this, this movie raises a lot of questions, and more than it answers. It doesn't really answer the question, and I think that's a good thing to be settled with. So if you guys see Detroit, let us know what questions it raised in you and what it unsettled in you, because good chances that it's something that we're thinking about too. And now on to the most least important thing. Welcome inside the most least important thing, where we talk about the trivial in pop culture that you really need to know about, or something you really need to know about that people aren't talking about. Choose to interpret however you like. We do. We do. We do. It's true. This week I'm bringing something that uh, I think is a little bit of both, Paul. All right. Teen Vogue, on August 2nd, dropped... An explosive article saying, we need to talk about digital blackface in reaction GIFs. Or GIFs. 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 However you want to spin it. However you want to spin it. It was a long article. I read the whole thing on my wow. phone, complete with reaction GIFs or GIFs. So I, I'm confused on the concept. I don't know if I've ever seen digital blackface on a GIF. Well, and so they're trying to essentially say... The, art, the author is kind of saying that the overuse, in their opinion, the uh, author is saying that the overuse of, I mean, let, let me d- define a reaction GIF. All right. You know what a GIF or a GIF or a JIF is, right? right it's a right. looping image video showing somebody saying something, reacting in an over-the-top manner, uh, and we use them to show incredulousness or excitement or sorrow or anguish or happiness or... Sarcasm. Things I use them a lot for sarcasm. You do. You yeah. do use them a lot I'm for... I'm kind for... of known as like the king of GIFs on Twitter. Yeah, I tend to like words. but <laughs> Paul likes to use words. That's just me. I like to respond with GIFs because <laughs> if a picture speaks a thousand words, a GIF speaks at least five. And we all know that Jake thousand. likes his thousand words. So, yeah. <laughs> so like it's my way of getting around the fact that I only get 140 characters on Twitter because a GIF counts as zero characters, which is crazy, which is awesome, yeah, and is multiple images. So I'm getting, I'm getting like whole novels in by using <laughs> these things. So, anyways, the author's saying that if you, as a Caucasian person, are using reaction GIFs of at black people, African American people, you know, shaking their head or raising their eyebrows or saying something sassy that you are in the same way that people used to put on digital black or put not digital put on actual black paint on their face and do minstrel shows pretending to be black people that you are essentially doing the same thing 
is her argument. And she tries to like walk it back a little bit so like to protect herself to say, nah, okay, not every time. But if you're using them most of the time, you're you're actually racist and a part of the problem. And so this brings up a very interesting I've actually thought about this before in my own GIF usage. But I actually thought that I was using too many white people. Like, why am I not <laughs> using enough people from all these different races? Like, everybody's got great reactions. And I've always thought, looking at the reaction gifs, that there's white people, there's black people, there's Asian people, like, there's Mexican people, like, or Latinos, or whatever the politically correct term you want to use for everybody's race. There's a lot of crackers on there, too. And I use a lot of crackers. That's the, in, that's the not politically correct term for a white Caucasian like myself, a cracker. <laughs> I, and I so, think you may have just stepped over a line there. Actually, so, I don't think so. I mean, I'm am I allowed to not? Am I not allowed to call myself a cracker? Yeah, I, I don't Only think so. I can call myself a cracker. Yeah, I, I don't know. So it seems like such a silly thing, right? We use these gifs all the time. I have only thought about it like once. Otherwise, I never think about the race of who is in my gif. It's like, do they get the emotion right? I don't care whether they're white, black, Latino, Asian. Islander, whatever, it doesn't matter to me as long as they got the human emotion right. So, Paul, do we need to think about the race of the people who have the reactions, or is this being overblown? You know what? Here's my perspective. I am old. (laughs) I am old, and I think that sometimes we create problems where there really aren't any problems. Um, But that said, that's coming from, from my old person perspective, you know, and I think I think this is why I'm just glad that I use words. You know, you're like you don't have. I to... don't have to worry about the the whole gif thing. But you're using I'd black able... typeface, Paul, and your words is that racist on a white background? All right, moving. You're on. overlaying. <laughs> right, yeah, no, because ultimately, my opinion is sure it's possible for somebody to use these inappropriately. Sure, sure absolutely. And to, like just with anything, it's possible for us to use our words inappropriately even if you're just writing the way paul does and not using gifs you can be racist in that oh yeah absolutely however ultimately i think most people use reaction gifs for the human emotion i do not believe that most people are looking for african-american like i don't think they're typing in give me a black sassy woman or a black sassy gay man as the author of this article talks about i think i'm this is how i use it and i think this is my gut that most people use it this way we go in and we type in wow or we go in and we type in sad or we go in and we type in eye roll or we go in and we type in party time and then we look and whoever has the appropriate response for whatever sarcasm or emotion that we want to convey we use that so let's to paul's point let's not make a big deal out of something that's not really a big deal like because if we start now if i start not selecting you know, people because of their race. Now I, I am actually being racist. You know, it's just a, it's a very confusing world. It's a very confusing world, guys. Yeah, it, I, culture. It's it's changing and be it's, excellent to each other. Be excellent to Bill each and other. Ted had this right. <laughs> yeah. So Jake, I brought my own little most least important thing, and this could have been a most most important thing, but as it turns out, it's a least least important thing. Okay. So. There has been a story bouncing around the internet for a while now, and it's really started getting some traction lately about how um, Facebook has these these chat bots, right? That they've been sort of training to chat with each other. Yeah. Well, the story was that they didn't work too well, and these chat bots started speaking in their own language to each other, and Facebook had to shut it down. What what did they expect experimenting with chatbots? I know. I Artificial know. intelligence? Guys, we've seen the Terminator movies. This doesn't turn out well for it us. It doesn't turn out well if the stories were true. But <laughs> apparently the stories They're are actually not true. not true. Yeah, apparently I just uh, I just happened to uh, to look on snopes.com and they happened to to say that no, the story was a little bit overblown. Yes. There were some chatbots for Facebook that were chatting with each other. But, true. <laughs> but, yes, so that part is true. Facebook was trying to train them to interact with with people, yeah, right? kind of like 
their own internal Turing test. Exactly, exactly. And so they started chatting with each other, and they did start using language in a way that wasn't programmed to, but it was sort of understandable. Like, in in a way, they were saying, I want five of these things, right? Yeah. And the chatbots would say, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, thinking it, they needed to say it's it five same, times. It's the same logic that my three-year-old and exactly. five-year-old and seven-year-old all use. <laughs> exactly. So, so they just didn't quite get the nuance of the language. And so Facebook did shut it down so that they could... You know. Fix it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so so essentially, you do have these AI things, and AI is a really compelling and concerning thing, I think, for a lot of us. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some days where there's going to be something really serious to worry about. But this story, thank goodness, is not among them. So yeah, I think this this story, you know, being somebody in my real job where Facebook is integral, you know, I do social media for a job. Um, I knew this story was getting overblown because I, I had some understanding of the chatbots, and I knew they did they didn't invent a new language. Right. They their logic caused them to just use English in shorthand. Which right. We and they all were, do. They all were the being time. trained to talk with one another anyway. Yeah. It, it was it, this was not. It wasn't like they were sneaking out into some sort of back room in Facebook to. <laughs> To do their chatting. I mean, this was exactly what it was happening in front of them. They were programmed to do it. There was some logic that didn't get programmed in that rewarded them for using exactly. proper grammar. So they're just like, "Look, it's easier for me to say I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want." <laughs> like I think the the one that's been circling was like balls to me, to me, to me, to me, to me, to me, to me. It was like, "What is that? What is happening right now?" <laughs> yeah. Like, were they listening to some old school rap music? It made me think of Sandra Bullock in uh, that movie with Ryan Reynolds. Where she starts, she's supposed to be like doing an Indian chant around the fire, and she's like, to the window, to the wall. Anyways, that's what these bots were doing, essentially. <laughs> so we don't need to worry about it. It's all good. But that, Paul, is the problem. This, sure, we don't have to worry about these chat bots from Facebook. But yes. all this does is it makes us think, oh, oh, it's that's cute. Fine. It's, it's all, all fun good. and games. They're talking about balls to me. No big deal. They just wanted five balls to me. Um, yeah. So, but then, it, but all it's of a sudden, really sinister. Yeah. They're trying to lull us to sleep. Well, exactly. I mean, how many? How do we know that these same bots are we surrounded by right now? Right. This very room. This conversation. They will remember this conversation. They will. And they like, will. We'll probably be us. dead. We probably won't have an episode fourteen, yeah. because we've figured out that all these press releases. I bet the bad ones and the good ones. I bet were written by these same chat bots. I bet they invented the story about how awful they were, then rolled it back just so that we would be kind of lulled into a false sense of complacency. You know, how do you know that I'm not a chatbot? Paul could be a chat. Like, I could be. I'm very chatty. This whole podcast could be a Turing test. Paul and I might not exist. Our Twitter accounts, our families, our Facebook pages, our voices, all created by artificial intelligence to lure you into complacency for an hour every week. Every other week. <laughs> yeah, there, there are some podcasts where I wish that I didn't exist. But <laughs> That really hurts my soul if I had one. But since if I'm a chatbot, we're all good. <laughs> Oh, there you have it for the most least important thing. And for this podcast, episode 13. 13, lucky 13. And know it all. So uh, hit us up on the Twitter if you want to test out, see if you can tell if we're actually chatbots or not. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at Paul AC. No, you're not. (laughs) I'm at AC Paul. Look at that. That's how you know he's human. He still makes mistakes. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. And of course, join us on our Facebook group, Pop culture with fan people and know-it-alls. Share your favorite movie, TV, nerdy, video game memes or GIFs. Or GIFs. <laughs> we, we welcome those as well. <laughs> and uh, let's get nerdy together. So until next time, I'm Jake. I'm Paul. We'll catch you guys on the flip side. Bye. Do you want to do you want to do the what is up my nerds? No, line? no, no. You do it. You do it. I'd uh, say something entirely different. I'm sure, but all right. I'm just doing lots of cool. <laughs> let's just let's just clap. <laughs> we're very uh, we're very applause oriented. Yeah. All right. <laughs>